Hi, Catherine. Hello, Chelsea. How are you? I'm well. How are you doing today? Oh, I'm I'm just fantastic today. I'm really excited for our guest today. I am excited for our guest too because he's one of the only straight white men that I really love and adore in this moment <laughs> in time that isn't related to me. He is fucking awesome and he has a very successful podcast empire of his own. You know him from Armchair Expert and then he has a bunch of podcasts underneath the Armchair Expert umbrella and he is an actor, he's a comedian, He's host of Top Gear America, and he is the person people contact when they want to get a hold of Kristen Bell. His name is Dax Shepard. Welcome to the show, Dax Shepard. What an what an honor. What an honor. I'm, I'm, I'm going to try to keep my hands off you, but we're so close. It just feels ridiculous that I want it. Thank you. It's an honor to be here, number one. Number two, can, we, can I ask you why you hate hearing introductions of yourself? Because yeah. I'm assuming you do as well. I just, you know, it's just a bunch of horse shit. It's a, yeah. It's it's just, it, it falls in line with the same exercise as hearing people tell you why they're big fans of yours. Yeah, but don't, do you also suffer from the paradox of like, clearly all I want is for people to love me. I wouldn't have moved here otherwise. And yet when they do love me, it, I can't take it it's such a weird yeah it is very it's confusing because <sighs> we want the adulation but mm -hmm. i'd rather i'd rather read about it there we go or hear about it oh that's the sweet spot if but, someone's gossiping about you in yes, a positive way yes i'd rather hear about it instead of someone say it to my face because this is what i have a hard time with my reaction to seem sincere mm. when you're saying thank you yes it's the opening presents on christmas syndrome yeah like i'm nervous i'm not going to give you a response Response that feels like I heard it or it meant something to me and now I'm panicked that I'm gonna let you down and I think and I th and I think another thing is like I do meet and greets backstage after my shows in COVID safe states so I didn't do them in Florida shout out to Florida <laughs> you know when people when you mean a lot to someone it feels bad to not have it register, right? Yeah, exactly. Like some people get emotional or they say, this, you, what you did here changed my life or helped me through this difficult time. I feel you when you think about it in that framework mm -hmm. or frame of mind, it feels very, you feel like a cunt. You do. Well, I feel like a fraud. Like I can't possibly have helped a stranger in any way unless I've gone to their house and changed a tire or something. Like it's very abstract and it's, it's again, it's so weird because I'm both a megalomaniac and I have super low self-esteem. So it's like, I don't believe I could have helped them. And yet I'm a megalomaniac. I, it's yeah. It's quite a dichotomy that you have because most recently you DM'd me and said something along the lines of, what size venues are you performing in? Oh, yeah, yeah. And I told you, <laughs> I said like 2,500 to 3,500 seats. <laughs> Uh, I'm so glad you're outing me for this. On average. And he, he writes back. You write, well, thanks. Well, I, I'm just actually being really competitive no, well, first, and making sure that I'm performing at the same size venue. Well, I'm so glad I'm here to make sure this is told correctly. Because there is a lot of puke-worthy actions on my part, but that wasn't one of them. So I said, what size venues are you performing? Because I saw the list of how many shows you had added. And then you said like 2,500. And I said, oh, that's rad. And then you said, why do you ask? Which is a very legitimate response. And then I, I said, I'm just counting your money. Like, I'm curious oh, how right, much right. you're That's making because I'm nosy about people's money. Yeah. But I, it wasn't competitive at all. 
Like, I, in no way was I like, I want to make sure I'm selling the same size oh, menus. Oh, okay. Sorry, I read that wrong. Yeah, yeah. I like your honesty about it. Listen, all I care about in life is honesty. We both want to know each other's intentions, and yeah. then we can proceed accordingly, And right? I also, yeah, and if people are competitive or like that, that's also fine, too. But I like when people are upfront and not cagey yeah. or are a little bit, like, Machiavellian about things. I find that to be a very off-putting quality in people. I agree. Right? Uh, yes, yes, I agree. And I think coming from similar childhoods, it's why we, it's like, just fucking tell me, what's your, what's your hustle? What, and then mm-hmm. I'll decide whether I want to participate or not. But I just, I need, I'm not a fool. So you're not going to con me into getting what you want. I might like acquiesce and give you what you want, but I just need to know what the intention is. Uh-huh. And so mine truly, and I'm curious if how you feel, A, I haven't generally, and this is probably sexist, been competitive with women. I just like when Chris and I go to a movie, I'm staring at the dudes in the movie and I'm thinking about whether they deserve to be in this movie or not. And she is looking at the women and deciding if they deserve to be in the movie or not. I'm ne- almost never looking at the female to decide. Mm-hmm. So I am competitive with dudes or I have been in the past, but not with women. Sometimes you're competitive with your wife, though. Don't you How think? So? Well, I feel like sometimes you feel like she steals your thunder. Not sometimes I feel like. I feel like you definitely feel that way. I don't feel that way. That she sometimes steals your thunder? No. The, 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 the challenges I've had in being with her is there have been stretches, years, where she's made more money than me. And that has in the past affected me where I start, I feel emasculated by it. Like, oh, I'm the guy. I'm supposed to be making more. I'm a fucking loser. My wife makes more money than me. Like, you know, old, old hardware that was installed in Detroit that it's taken me 40-odd years to to ditch. But I've had that. If she's outshining me, awesome. I've been getting a lot of attention for 20 years. I'm so fine with her outshining me. I'm Like, we were at a Formula One race recently, and we were getting some heat. And then all of a sudden, Shaquille O'Neal showed up. And I was like, oh, here we go. Hey, you can't miss him. Like anywhere on the grid, you can see Shaquille. He's seven feet tall. So now all eyes are on Shaquille. I'm, I love that. I don't have a desire to be stared at more. Oh, yeah. I hear what you're saying. I hear what you're saying. I think, you know what, I think when I think about your relationship, because you guys are both very, I've, Kristen's been on the podcast as well, on both of ours, actually. <laughs> I think that you really have come into a lot of success since you got, since you were married, right? I mean, uh-huh. especially with your podcast, especially, I mean, you've blown up. I mean, the only podcast that's bigger than yours, unfortunately, is Joe Rogan's. But you really kind of define the podcast space in a huge way. So that must instill a ton of confidence in you for someone who claims that they have a lack of self-confidence, which I believe you do because we've spoken. Yeah, and I, yeah. I, I I mean, again, I'm not saying I'm not also arrogant. I am. Like I often think I'm the smartest person in the room. And then also I think I'm a piece of shit and I'm unattractive and all these things. So, you know, I'm not claiming I walk around feeling bad for myself. I just, yeah. I think all human. I well, you do. I interview so many people that have they've won sexiest person of the year on People magazine, and they hate how they look. So I I, th- I think it's a human condition. I don't think or a Hollywood condition. Well, it seems to be a human condition. I think you are right. Yeah, because because there's always a Brad Pitt. Like even if you're at the top of the heap, you're gonna look at Brad Pitt, take your shirt off, and once upon a time in Mexico, or once upon a time in Hollywood, and go, my God, that guy is 55, and his body looks better than mine ever did in this my 20s. You're gonna compare yourself. Mike Tyson got beat up eventually. Like there's always someone better than you. So mm-hmm. if you're playing the comparison game, it doesn't take much to find someone. You know, I don't think I'm outing Bradley. Bradley Cooper, fucking. I've never had a friend where women text me so often, just saying like, hey. 
if he's ever interested, no strings attached, don't need a dinner, I just want to sleep with him, that's a unique quality. I've, I have many famous friends. I don't get those texts about anybody uh, but him. And he doesn't think he's a 10. I think he thinks he's a 7. Right. Which is weird. What number do you think you are, Dax? A 6. A 6? Yeah, but I do think, and here's where the arrogance will come in, I think my personality is a 10. So I think, lucky for me, women see an 8. I right. think they subconsciously are are creating an average between my personality and my looks, and they're actually seeing an eight. And they would be on a, a witness stand, and they would claim, what is he? He's an eight, and they would be telling the truth from their perspective. It sounds like you've thought about this before. Oh, for years. Um, I was. Really, what do you think you are? I think I'm a 10. Okay. Yeah, I, feel, I have a lot of confidence in, A, my personality, B, the way that I look. I'm into aging. I'm also, you know, into taking care of myself. Yeah. So the physicality part of it, I'm pretty confident with it. Mm-hmm. I think I'm a really, like, I've really grown up and, like, I'm, a, like, a very good version of myself. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah. I'm pretty happy with myself these days. I used to, like, you know, have a lot of self-loathing and, like, body issues and yeah. all that shit. Yeah. But I kind of just, you know, tried to really shake that shit out in therapy and read a lot of fucking shit about it mm-hmm. and learned about myself. And I, and I feel like I'm a great great student at therapy. The more information I get, the more confident I get become. Yeah. And I bet there's someone in the audience thinking in their mind, of course you feel confident. You're a fucking bombshell, which is true. But I, I think you'd be missing the point, which is you were an even younger version of the bombshell in the past and didn't think you were all that. Isn't that the, the real point of that? Yes. Yeah. I think you grow into. Because I would look at you and go like, well, you should feel confident. You're right. Very, very few. For, we're the same age, right? Yeah. 46. Six? Yeah. 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 Very few 46 year olds look like you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm heading for my facialist right after we're done with the podcast oh. today. So oh, okay. that's one of the reasons. No need. It's living, glowing. Well, that's why it's glowing. You know what I mean? <laughs> okay. I, I have I have an outstanding question I want to ask you. I follow you on Instagram. I also follow you on Instagram. Clearly, we DM each other. We don't have each other's phone number, which I think is, that's probably best. Well, I have Kristen's <laughs> phone number. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I think right. that serves that's, its that's, purpose, yeah. That's right, that's right. <laughs> if there's ever an emergency, you can get a hold of me through <laughs> that number. But here's here's what happens. I, um, I have a lot of male friends who are very fit. They post pictures. I write underneath of it, you know, flame signs, boners. I'm so happy for how they look. And then you, as I think I have a relationship with, a friendship so often your body looks so fucking rocking, and I want to write like how great it looks. It's so impressive, and then I go, "You can't, you can't do that." And I want you from your opinion. Am I right in that I, I can't do that? I should, I should not do that. Or what do you think about that? I think that's a great question, and I think it's a great time to bring up a question like that. And I think as long as, you know, I think men are confused right now about what they can say and what they can't say. And as long as it's not predatory and harassing, mm-hmm. like, then, of course, you're my friend. You can say, wow, you look great. I have, yeah. have no problem saying you, your body looks great. Okay. Like, it doesn't have to be. That's because I'm in the dominant structure. Yes, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> that, you are in the dominant you're, you're, structure. Um, you're complimenting up. <laughs> but I think that's I think that's where men are lost right now. It's like, no, yeah. you can say nice things to women. It just doesn't have to sound like you want to fuck them. Lascivious. And even though I know <laughs> that you have told me that you wanted to fuck me before mm-hmm. or that I would be your, you know, free card with Kristen, one of your free cards. Who are the other ones, by the way? Your um, get out of jail Zoe free Kravitz. cards. Zoe Kravitz. Zazie Beats. Oh my God. You know her? I don't know. Oh Zazie my god. Beats. She was did you watch Atlanta? 
Yes. The the baby mama of. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She's so special. Her oh. face. There's something about her face. Yeah, you're like right about that. so pleasing to look at. Like, it's so symmetrical. Something about it is just very soothing to stare at. And she's, as I stalk her on Instagram, I've come to find out, also very interesting, <laughs> like half German, grew up in that weird German town in, in, in Georgia. I don't know if you've ever been there, Helena or something. I've it's heard North of that. Uh, yeah. yeah German, there was an yeah. episode where they went there. Well, mm-hmm. she literally, that that wasn't a stretch. She she was from there or went there all the time. Oh, yeah? So I'm intrigued. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's probably rounds out my... Your era. Yeah. Okay. Here, I have a question about your marriage. What would you say the happiest... Happiest time of your marriage has been thus far? Mm. Well, we've been together 15 years. Yeah, that's a really long time. It is, I think. But in Hollywood years, that's like a 35-year relationship maybe. Yeah. Um, I would say there were like, there's been little sweet spots, right? There's been like, once we got engaged, there was some new level of security that I hadn't anticipated that kind of changed the dynamic of our relationship dramatically. Because, as you know, I'm a pervert. So every joke I make is perverted and sexual. And that's very off-putting if you don't feel safe. And so I really had to curb that side of myself. And then when we got engaged, I just started noticing, like, all of a sudden, that didn't bother her at all anymore. And I got to be more of me. And I was like, oh, that's I would not have predicted any of that. That was a very nice, sweet stretch and growth. Having kids is lovely, and it's it's very bonding in this weird way. You know, my issues with her making more than me, the kids were the the antidote to that, where I, I was like, oh, this isn't about she or I or what I'm making or what she's making. This is all about what we are bringing to these two kids now. And I detached my, my ego from the whole thing, and then I became at peace with it. But and then I would say right now we're, what do they call it, bipolars, when they're ramping up? We're ramping up <laughs> uh, because our kids are getting now self-sufficient enough that the load on us has gone down a lot. Like we can sleep in on a Saturday. That It's been years since we could do that. Uh, we can hire babysitters. They don't crazy. We can go on a date. So things are starting to like we're starting to find some more autonomy away from our kids now, which is good. Yeah, so that's going to be a nice new adventure. I think so. Yeah, I'm optimistic it's, that it's it will. It's post-rearing your children, right? Not yeah. post-completely over, but this The exhausting is, phase. Yeah, yeah. How old are the girls now? Six and eight. Six and eight. Okay, yeah. so they're little, still little. I'm reading this book. I just started reading this book that somebody handed to me at, at an airport the other day called Attachment. I don't know if you've read this book. Is it about attachment theory mm. in your childhood? It's talk, it talks about, well, not even in childhood. It's oh. about adulthood, too. Oh. It talks about there's three different types. One is anxious- one is secure, and the other one is, what is it, anxious? Avoidant? Secure and avoidant. Yes, mm-hmm. Catherine, mm-hmm. avoidant. So, and then it talks about how you can be a combo of the two, because I was reading it and I was like, oh, I'm secure. And then I was like, oh no, I'm kind of anxious because my brother died and like when people don't, if I don't hear from somebody, you know, I get that little, but yeah. s- since therapy, I'm a, I have a much healthier outlook about it, but it still is a, like a, a feeling that I have to go, oh, that's your little person yeah, talking yeah, yeah. that's not your adult self like don't don't act on that right right, right. so uh, an avoidance is somebody who just doesn't who fears intimacy and then avoidance and anxious can kind of work in concert together i i would imagine that yeah like uh, very up and down and big swings yeah like yeah like intense feelings of intimacy and closeness and re- followed yes. by intense rejection and all those things right yeah i think that's a cycle i've found myself in which one what do you think would define you most aptly in general or with Kristen? Mm. so okay here's back to my 
the duality of my self-esteem. So I, I, I'm like very insecure so often, and yet I'm, I'm overly confident in relationships, like grotesquely, like arrogantly. I don't worry that Kristen's going to go find someone with... She'll find someone more attractive than me, for sure. She might find someone who's more philanthropic than me. That's likely. (laughs) Um, But then there's nine other slices of the pie that she has to fill. And I, I just think my average is really high for all the many things. So I'm weirdly too confident in relationships. I, I, I'm not a jealous person. I don't really care. Really? No. And for a couple different reasons. One, if you're afraid your partner is going to become attracted to someone else and leave you for them, the fast pass to that is go ahead and be jealous. Make yourself as unattractive and, and, and as the least amount of fun to be around as humanly possible. And then go ahead and manifest that outcome. I think that's what a ton of people do. Like they're so afraid of it that they they will it to happen because they're not fun to date. People like to be trusted and, and it's just very unattractive. It is. I mean, there's, that's for sure. There are sick people that get off on that. Like, oh, my partner's so jealous. They must really love me. That, But, you know, unless you're in that weird niche, I just think in general, you have to recognize it as a non-starter. It can't be done. Right. Because you're actually going to create this outcome you fear. Right. And when you tr- give somebody the trust, you'd be surprised by the outcome of just that. Yes. And, and again, I... I say this a lot, and then I think it leads people to believe that we have an open relationship. I want to be clear. We don't have an open relationship. But I have also said to her, of the 10 things that I value about you and that I need from you as a partner, fidelity's 10th for me. It's just not it, – it's not, it has nothing to do with my day-to-day life. If she's in fucking Alaska in 10 years – Fucking an Eskimo? If, yeah, in Inuit. Let's be right okay. about it. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You're right. <laughs> An Inuit. I always or an Inupi. Could... It's just low on the things I need from her. So that wouldn't bother you? No. I, I mean, I prefer not to know about it because uh-huh. that, that info is not any, it's not useful for me. Would you qualify yourself as needy in any way? So when you say you're insecure, you're talking about your professional, your professional life. Are you talking about your value, your self-worth? Yeah, we want to parse out some specifics. Yeah, I want to know what and why that hasn't changed over over time or, or has it? It has. It has. It has. I'm, yeah, and I should be clear to say I'm often referencing me 10 years ago, 15 years ago. It has gotten better and better and better, but it's gotten better and better not in the by pursuing the route I thought would end in self-esteem. So I thought if I could find people I had assessed as being more attractive than me, higher status than me, just all around better than me, and I could get them to fall in love with me, it would elevate who I was. And and I did that pathologically and selfishly for a huge chunk of my life until I got to an apex where I was dating someone I thought would be impossible to date this person. And then I looked in the mirror. I was like, yeah, same dude, same fucking mm. piece of shit. It, did, it had no impact whatsoever. Right. If it would have worked, I would have done it. Like I, if it worked, I'd be fine with it. But it didn't work. And all these lame things are what make me feel confident and have a lot of self-esteem, which is like being of service to people I don't want to be of service to, fucking picking up the phone for an alcoholic who's struggling, who I don't even want to talk to, to being of service to my kids nonstop from the second I wake up until I go to bed. I'm like at their disposal. Those things make me feel, I look in the mirror, I'm like, you're a bad motherfucker, dude. You're working and you're dadding it in a way that you prayed you'd do it. And and I love the dude in the mirror now. And what do you think it's, what are you most surprised about yourself, learning about yourself as a father? Like, what is the biggest, like, uh, 
great surprise that you've realized yeah. or learned about yourself. I guess the thing I'm most grateful for is I'm in general the the most uh, impatient person. It's terrible. It's like the apex of my entitlement. Like I shouldn't have to sit in traffic, so I ride a motorcycle. I shouldn't have to circle the block ten times. I'll pay a parking ticket. Uh, you know, like I just I, I'm so entitled with my time, and and again, I don't think I could have been this way in my 20s or 30s with kids at all. But I'm I'm shocked with how patient I am. Like I can just listen to the racket come in, come in, come in. None of it makes any sense. It's hysterical. Everyone's in a fucking uproar. And I can just like let it all happen for a long, long time. And then when everyone's all calmed back down, I'll start talking. And that I'm I'm shocked I can do that. Yeah. And what I'm like really proud of myself when I can just not engage in the hysterical part of the thing. Yeah. And wait till it's there's a rational zone for me to enter. Right. Isn't that interesting? Because you that's not your personality altogether, no, right? No. I am a you inconvenience me which means you don't love me, and I'm out the fucking door because that's how I show you you can't take me for granted. <laughs> I'm a big, I could write you off in one second, and I could just keep walking. And I employed that grotesquely for a lot of my life. Yeah, me too. I yeah. have that in common with you, definitely. Yeah. Like, well, watch me shut this door. Yeah, it's like, get the <laughs> fuck out of my face forever. Yes, yes, and yes. I now, I never will think about that person again. There's yeah. no, like, there's no thinking about it. Did no. I do the right thing? I never second guess it. I'm done. The door's shut, and I rarely ever contemplate that person again. Yeah, and I think the reason I have done that is that I didn't trust the people I was talking to if I actually shared what was going on with me and was vulnerable that they would adjust to me. Mm -hmm. My conclusion was, you've shown who you are. That's not simpatico with who I am. So, saya fucking ara. Mm -hmm. And what do you think the most surprising thing you've learned about Kristen since she's become a parent? Oh, I got a great one. Uh, well, first I was just going to say, not a lot because I have a really high opinion of her. Uh, again, back to that list of reasons I'm with her. We started dating when I was 32. She was 27. And at 32, I was like, okay, um, the next person I date, I have to be working towards having kids. I really, really wanted to have kids. So for me, number one attraction to her was I was like, that's, she'll be a fucking amazing mom. I just know she will. She has 86 dogs, and they all get fed, and they all go to the vet, and the whole thing. She's never lazy when it comes to them. So, and... She has qualities I would want my daughters to have. She's a hard worker. She's generous. She's forgiving. All these things. So her being a great mom isn't a shocker to me. But in our own relationship, she and I are both very, for lack of a better word, alpha. We like to do what we want to do. So compromise between us is hard as hell. And I have found with the kids, I've been shocked with how often she's been like, Please tell me what to do here. Like, I obviously can't get them in bed in under an hour and a half <laughs> without tons of crying. What should I do? And that's just a whole new lane for her. She's not ever asking me what she should do, nor am I asking her what I should do. So your favorite thing about Kristen is her asking you for advice. Is that she cares enough about our kids to do something she would not want to do. Right. Like, that's it. That's her sacrificing what she would want uh -huh. for the sake of our children. Uh-huh, I see. Yeah. Yeah, that's hot. Yeah. Yeah. And likewise, I like to say I meet her halfway, which is like, I, I get, early on I was like, you know, I'll fight to the death over where we're eating. I'll fight to the death over what show we're going to watch. 
I was like, if you make a decision with the kids, I will step back. Like I'm, I'm telling you, you have veto power at all times. You're the mom. I will ultimately, after you hear my opinion, I will defer to anything you decide. That's rare for me. Yeah. Right. So in some way, I think, yeah, those kids have brought out a side of us that we're not maybe capable of with each other just for each other's sake. Yeah, I think it's great that you guys have been together for 15 years and you have this great little family and that you never show pictures of your children. I never know where I stand on that side of things, you know, like Let's uh, talk it out. Well, because I have friends who are like, you know, show their friends or their babies on camera and I never think anything about it. And then I think, oh, and then I see parents that do what you guys do. And I'm like, oh, that's appropriate, too, because what kid those kids aren't asking to be on camera. But at the same time, it's an unavoidable thing when you're the children of celebrities to ever be photographed. Right. Yeah. And in this media age and digital age that we're in, that's not going to go away anytime in the next couple of generations. And what, what we, we could just start with the simplest thing, which is the names of my children are known. My name is known. And now if you know exactly what she looks like, you can go to her playground. She doesn't go to Fort Knox to school. She goes to a regular school. Mm -hmm. And you could go, hey, Lincoln, I was just with your dad. He's at the hospital, blah, 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 blah. Like there's a very obvious safety issue, which I don't want people knowing what my children look like. Right. So is that your rule or is it both of your rules? Oh, both of us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We're, we're, we're in lockstep on that. Well, and then additionally, yeah, I'm not judgmental of any parents that do it. I could care. I don't give a fuck what people are doing, whether they're potty training their kids or sleep training or I don't, I don't Are you care. potty trained? It's, for 16 years I've been potty trained. <laughs> Since I quit <laughs> drinking, yes, I'm potty trained. <laughs> did you just get a new tattoo? I did, yeah. Wow, I've never seen it. I've never seen a fresh tattoo like that wrapped up. I know, it comes off tonight. Thank Dax God. just tried to hold my hand. <laughs> He tried to do it under the table, but it was on camera. He's like, I've been given permission to compliment your physique on Instagram, so now I'm going to so see if I can like, touch it's you in inappropriately. Um, I think this is a perfect time. So our setup here is we give advice to people. Okay. And so we try and curtail it to our guests. Well, we do curtail it to our guests, right, Catherine? Yeah, I absolutely. mean, we basically, I mean, you have a lot of experience with everything. And I feel like your IQ has probably really grown since you started doing your podcast from all the interesting neuroscientists, you know, psych psychiatric, psycho psychological people that you talk to. It's not the right word to describe what I meant to say, but you catch my gist. People in the uh, social sciences. Yeah, I social sciences. <laughs> that, I mean, I love, yeah, you have some great guests on there. So I know that you've gotten a lot of information and I'm sure that you've retained it because you're, you have, you're very curious and you like that. And I'm dyslexic, which which is a, uh, has turned out to be a superpower. Has it? Oh, yeah. So... When you're a kid and you're dyslexic, you're the thing. Everything that's happening on the chalkboard is, it's blank. I mean, it's like looking into a void. So the only thing you're getting is what the teacher's saying verbally. So I think dyslexics in general develop a really, really good memory for oral stuff. They it's receive. like if you can't hear, you're going to see sharply. Yeah. I just find that often people are like, wow, I can't believe you remember that. Enough times where I'm like, oh, yeah, I think this is a unique ability I have to remember what people tell me. As opposed to what I, you know. Right. So yeah. your memory to absorb information. I mean, your ability to absorb information. Yeah, and kind of retain it. Is, is superior. Seems high. And I think just from being dyslexic. Okay. Well, that's good. That's good for all those dyslexics out there to know that you have that superpower. So fucking pay attention when some, you're talking. Some dyslexic just drove their car off an interpass because they were like, I'm dyslexic and I don't have that. 
Okay, well, they can call into the podcast next week. Do you take callers? We take call- live callers. Wait, yeah. are we going to get to we talk do? to yeah, some? That's oh what we're doing. I mean, talk about okay. listening skills. I just fucking said that well, to you. Well, what I thought, hold on, can I be clear? <laughs> before, you, before you fucking load up your gun, I thought we were going to go to the part of your podcast where you ask you encourage me to ask you for advice, which no. feels like the end of the show. That's the end so of the show. So I was already show. panicking that. No, I, no, okay, no, no, okay, no, no, okay. no. Don't worry. We're okay. still together. Okay. Okay. We're still together. Okay. Still together. Right. Catherine, are we taking a call or are we taking a write-in? What's going on? You tell us. Well, first, we have to take a quick break. So we'll do that. And then we'll take some emails and some callers. We have two callers today. Oh, excellent. I'm okay. sad the listeners can't see your hair, Catherine. It's pink. It's as fun and playful as hair can be. Thank you. Well, they will if they call in. Oh, they will. Okay, great. <laughs> yeah, they'll get to see well, it. Well, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> okay, we're going to take a break and we'll be right back. And we're back. Oh, my God, that was quick. And we're back. <laughs> we're trying to stretch this out as long as possible. <laughs> So when you brought up your sobriety, you actually helped us segue right into our first email. It comes from Michael. He says, Dear Chelsea, and just so you know, Dax, Chelsea and I both just took 30 days off of drinking just to sort of do a cleanse, see how that felt, and make some adjustments. Uh, Well, I did 30 days off of cannabis. Uh, you don't do cannabis mm, yes, at all. You're not. Season. You don't do anything, right? No, I mean, correct. right. So I took 30 days off of cannabis, and then we did a separate 30-day alcohol cleanse. Which one do you think was more challenging, right. Catherine? You know what? So I am not a regular cannabis user, so I didn't do that one. And there were some hard parts of the 30-day alcohol break for me specifically. Like two weeks in, weirdly, was when it kind of got difficult. But I think noticing the changes in you, since you did both of them, I noticed a more pronounced change in your level of clarity after the break from cannabis. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I agree with that. Thank you for saying that. I realized after taking a 30-day cleanse of marijuana, I was like, wow, I was really stoned all the time. (laughs) Uh I mean, you're like, fuck. (laughs) So now, well, now I don't smoke weed anymore. I only take edibles because I do not oh, okay. like what the damage that that does to my throat. Sure. And mm-hmm. I d- don't need to sound like I have emphysema when I go to sleep at night. So uh, I'm no longer smoking weed, right. but I will take edibles, but not like I was before. Yeah, I was really, I think that was a COVID <laughs> byproduct of COVID. <laughs> I got a little bit carried away with my cannabis use. It's. I would guess that one's tricky in the same way that like when I relapsed on opiates was super tricky because my association with powerlessness and unmanageability are Coke and Jack Daniels. Like that's unmanageable. I'm gone for a few days. All bets are off. I do crazy stuff. I'm dangerous. When I was on the opiates, I was like, yeah, I do everything I normally do. No one knows. There's no obvious wreckage or unmanageability or anything and i I would argue weed similarly you can pretty much do your shit without anyone really going like hey i'm uh i'm worried or this is impacting me in some way and i think those are those are trickier ones to evaluate yeah yeah i think so but you know when you do abuse anything it shows up on you you know Mm -hmm. like your eyes you the redness the 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 stoned look the kind of not being together in a way that i'm smart enough to be together yeah yeah right so when you're constantly just like forgetting shit you're like wait this isn't me this doesn't really add up but (sighs) 
But like, if you're drunk at work every day, uh, you know, you'd probably hear from some people. <laughs> well, there are people. <laughs> or if you're microdosing cocaine, like that guy from oh, last yeah, season. Oh, yeah, microdosing cocaine. I was just going to say cocaine is so much fun. Who but, microdoses cocaine? Oh, we had a caller once call in, and he's like, hey, I've been microdosing cocaine at work. I've been super productive. I've been really, you know, everyone's- His weight's com- down. He's like, my everyone's been complimenting <laughs> me. Haven't had a boner in months. On my job performance. He goes, everything's going great, so do I just keep doing it? I'm like, first of all, there's no such thing as microdosing right. cocaine. You're a cokehead. There's no way around that. And that is going to be a good window for about, you know, five weeks. And then everything is going to crash and burn. So, yeah. yeah. And by the way, anyone who's listening, please don't do cocaine anymore because everyone, oh. this fentanyl shit is in everything and mm-hmm. you don't know when you're going to get it. I don't understand why drug dealers are putting fentanyl in No, listen, we got to have cocaine. a sidebar about this. Okay. Because you and I are both drug experts. I'm not a conspiracy theory person. I just am not, okay? But this occurred to me the other day because, yes, a ton of people are having fentanyl overdoses doing cocaine. And what I know is that, talk about incentive, no drug dealer who's selling coke wants to just add another expense of fentanyl and throw it in there. It has an opposite effect. People who are buying coke don't want fentanyl. Or if they want to do a speedball, they're getting that separately. So the drug dealer has no incentive to add fentanyl mm-hmm. to cocaine. It makes right. zero sense. That's what I'm thinking. The customers are going to occasionally die, which you, no one's going to buy from you anymore. So since it hurts everyone, the user, the 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 seller, how the fuck is there fentanyl and coke? It 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 needs an explanation. I'm like, I'm not saying that this is the case, but wouldn't it be genius if the CIA or somebody was putting fentanyl and coke because They're going to kind of cure the war on drugs because everyone's going to be too fucking afraid to try any drugs. Mm. Yeah. Who's benefiting from fentanyl and cocaine? It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make sense. sense, I've had this conversation repeatedly. Like putting it in fake oxy makes a ton of sense. Uh Putting it in even Xanax, which I think is weird, but the people who've gotten fentanyl and Xanax, at least it is a depressive drug. Putting it in cocaine, really, to me, they tip their hand. Mm Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. Well, I'm glad you said something. <laughs> so if anyone knows anything about that, write in. Yeah. If anyone who's benefiting, the... or at least just tell me who's benefiting. But they, I do, I don't believe the government yeah. wants to cure the war on drugs. Why do they? It helps them put black people behind bars. It helps that there's a whole money industry. Yeah, there's a whole ind- industry that they. I mean, I think they like that the fact that there's drugs. They like that there's that that element because they can blame so many other things on that. So I don't know, but there, there's that. But then I got I have to imagine that it also enriches people they don't like having money. Mm, right, cartel people. Yeah, who are putting then people in office. I don't know what I. I just saw an article that was like, is the leader of some South American country, a narco trafficker. And I was like... Probably. Oh, wow, that's likely, yeah. I mean, Pablo Escobar, he ran a pretty successful bid to be the president of Colombia. I mean, Mm -hmm. it almost happened, and half the country loved him. So, yeah, maybe in that case, they're like, okay, we got to... We gotta, we gotta prevent this. I don't know. I just, what I do know is that nobody benefits from putting fentanyl and cocaine. So why the fuck is it happening? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that needs answering. Yeah, you're right. It does need an answer. Hopefully, we'll get that. I mean, hopefully, we'll get it during this hour. Yeah, maybe. So, so, yeah. Hopefully, someone will call in who's been putting the fentanyl and the cocaine and tell us why they're doing it. Hopefully, a government <laughs> official will we'll call in it. during uh, uh, this uh, uh, episode. <laughs> 
Brent. Hi, this is Brent Chasen. <laughs> yes, let's move on to our first email before Dax has another cup of coffee. He has a great... What's okay, in your great. smoothie? What's in that smoothie? It's a, a, a vegan protein. Are you vegan? No, but I do love this protein powder. And if I get if I do the casein or the whey, stomach issues. Mm, My diarrhea? stomach doesn't like it. Hannes Rias. <laughs> that is code for diarrhea. So on that note, our first email comes from Michael. Okay, great. He says... Dear Chelsea, I'm a 29-year-old gay man living in the Midwest. I've been so inspired by your experience with therapy that I started going to a therapist as well. You're right. It's much more impactful to pay an expert to listen to my problems. I was also inspired by listening to you talk about taking breaks from substance use. I smoke weed occasionally, but alcohol is my true love. I'm a bartender, and I always say it's part of my job to know what I'm selling. Lately, I noticed you've talked about knowing the difference between taking a break from a substance and knowing when it's time to quit. That struck a chord, but I reassured myself that I'm fine, of course. However, coming out of Halloween weekend, which was mostly a foggy blackout, Uh I've been faced with the reality that this is actually ruining my life. Nine out of ten times when I drink, I blackout, but even then, I keep going on autopilot. Over the last few years, I've been charged with two DWIs, broken my leg, lost a job, and so much more. The common denominator is always the way I consume alcohol. Now, after almost getting arrested on Halloween, I realize that my life is truly unmanageable. I had an emergency meeting with my therapist, and he advised me to try AA. I've always looked down at the 12-step program, to be honest, but after hearing Rosebud Baker's story, I felt like she was also telling my story. I immediately paused the podcast and went to a meeting. For the first time, I'm feeling pretty hopeful and finally getting my shit together. You guys were the push I needed to wake up and wrap up this behavior. Thanks for everything you do, Michael. So this is mostly a thank you, but I thought, Dax, you could talk to us a little bit about advice you have for him as a newly sober person as well. And the difference between the feeling of taking a break versus permanently changing your lifestyle, right? Yeah. All right, I'm going to go in order. You said this letter is from Michael. And the first thought I had was, I just interviewed David Sedaris. He said gay men always use the long version of their name. And so my first thought was, oh, I wonder if Michael's gay. Mm. And then you said Michael's a gay man. (laughs) So that's just first what happened in my head. That's funny. Second, yeah, I'm listening to this. And of course, I have a perspective on it all. And and, and what I just say, uh, it all ended where I would hope it would end. But just, I think people have to ask themselves, what a normal person does versus what they're doing. If you have in the bank reasons for why you drink, that's a flag. Normal people, my wife doesn't have a fucking reason she drinks. If she wants to drink, she drinks. If she only drinks half the glass, it doesn't consume her that she's leaving half a glass. It's not, she has no deeper relationship with it other than what it is. So I think just out of the gates, if you've got a bunch of stories about your drinking, that's generally something to think about. And I am curious. I get it. I don't like joining clubs. I'm suspicious of all clubs. But the hatred of AA is still a little bit confusing to me in that it's the only group in the world without a leader, without a hierarchy, without a bank account. Mm. Like if you're ever going to join a group, there's nobody there who's profiting. No one's No one's getting elevated status from it. No one's getting empowered by it. Like... If there was ever an organization to model other organizations after, it would be that one. So I don't I don't 
entirely understand the put, but maybe it's because I grew up with a parent in AA and I have a different relationship with it. What What are your thoughts on AA? Well, I think that the, a lot of people. I have a good friend that got sober a few years ago, and he had a real drinking problem. You know, very sloppy, very blackout, all the stuff. And blackouts obviously are a huge red flag. If you're blacking out, that's not well, that's especially you. nine out of ten times. Yeah, pretty high. <laughs> yeah, that's a pretty high ratio. But I think people's uh, apprehension towards AA is the religious component. Oh, sure. You N- know, because some people don't believe in God and they don't want to have it related to God. And so I think that's the 12 steps and all of that, you know, but I do, I, I do agree. Like, you, I think you make a great point, you know, that is great that, that there's no big profiteer from AA. There's not, not some, you know, Messiah. So that is it. And it's a safe place where you're going to meet people who are experiencing what you're experiencing. So for the sake of the matter, until you are stable, it's a great resource. If you don't want to stay going to meetings and you can stabilize yourself with, without that kind of routine and pattern of behavior, sure, but there's nothing wrong with going to an AA meeting and, and dipping your toe in that for just some, just for the purposes to tell yourself of stability, to get yourself to the next step and right. to get yourself a little bit stronger. Again, though, and you know, structure. Yeah, the structure yeah. of it and the, and the group think like, you know, to be around people mm-hmm. that are saying similar things to you and you're hearing your, their stories and you realize, oh, this isn't, only I'm not the only person in the world going through this struggle and not only am I not the only person there's a lot of comfort in hearing other people's plights I would also argue like even if you want to write the entire thing off as placebo I'm fine with that but an axiom I believe in so much is you cannot think your way into acting different but you can act your way into thinking different so if you wake up that next morning, you're mm-hmm. so fucking humiliated by your behavior, your lack of memory, uh, you have blood in your rectum, whatever's happening to you, and you tell yourself, this is strong enough that I am. I, I decided now that I'm going to think differently, and I'm not going to change anything else in my life. If I'm betting in Vegas, I'm going to bet against you. But if you say, I'm going to this place at 8 o'clock, and when I get there, this person says, why don't you read this step when you get home? And then the other person says in the morning, how about maybe you journal just remind yourself, hey, I'm always going to be this when I wake up. I'm not going to wake up one morning and not have this. That's a step. Like, it's all actions that then slowly over time do change how you think. Or, or they change how I think. Yeah. So, and then the God thing, I get it, man. I'm an atheist, yet I've been in this that program for 17 years. You so know? how do you how do you divorce the two, or not divorce the two, but how do you reconcile the two if you are? I had a sponsor one time who's smarter than me say, Look, this is how I think about it. It's a power greater than myself. So something's making the sun come up in the morning. It's not Dak Shepard. Something is making the oceans have a tide. It's not Dak Shepard. There's a whole bunch of forces happening in this universe. There's a symmetry mm-hmm. to how we're spinning around the sun, and all nine planets are held together. I'm not the force that's doing any of that. There's something much greater than me. Mm-hmm. And the way I make peace with it is like, I recognize the symmetry of everything, and I know when I'm out of step with the symmetry of everything. Mm -hmm. I know it. I can feel it. I'm smart enough to recognize, oh, I'm swimming in the wrong direction of this Mm -hmm. river. And so what Mm -hmm. I aspire to do is to be in harmony and in symmetry the way this fucking planet we're on is. 
Yeah. And I think that, you know, God is just a lack of a better term in, in many respects, you know? I think it's really a call to humility. And that I do believe in. Like, first recognize you're not the fucking director of planet Earth. You're not the director of your family and your friends and everything. You're, you're, you're just another piece of shit. You're one of seven billion pieces of shit. And you're trying your best. Like, so the God thing to me just represents, like, get humble. Which I agree with, because through humility, you mm. can actually take advice from other people, which is impossible for me to do. We'll get into that at the end of the show. Um, so any act of humility, <laughs> I think it's important to look at what the broader point of it is. Unless you want to be basic about it and go like, oh, I heard the word God, which I don't even know. If it's in there. But yeah, it's in, there. it's in there. But regardless, Michael, you're on the right track. You've recognized there's an issue. You need to stick with this. And it sounds very much like you need to be sober. So I really commend you on that choice that you made and the decision that you made to put one step in front of the other in a direction to take your life into a better place. And yeah, all the signs are there that you have a serious problem. So it's not about taking a break. It's about making yourself like, you know, understand that life can be a lot better and a lot more bountiful to be in symmetry with the universe and with your energy and all of the things that that brings. Can I now attempt to get you defensive? Sure. Okay. You want to tell me that I have a drinking problem? I don't know that I don't have an opinion of whether or not you have a drinking problem. But do you think your average person has to take breaks? No, no. No. I think someone said to me once, uh, a guy I was dating said, I never want to get out of control with my drinking because I never want to have to give it up completely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I love that. And I liked that. And so I always think if there's a period of time, like I came back from Mallorca where I was with my girlfriends for two weeks and we had a lot to drink and I just came back and I felt gross and I thought... This is one of those times where I really need to like clear my head and, and clean out my system. Yeah. Because my drinking has changed, especially as I've gotten older. It's not the same. Like I don't want to drink like that. I it don't, hurts more, right? It hurts more, and it shows up on your face yeah, more. Yeah. And um, you know, I like the way I look. I want I want to look fresh. And I yeah. So I think. So that was one of the things, you know, cannabis brought into my life. When I started to like pivot to cannabis, I was like, oh, I started drinking less because of the cannabis. And then I I definitely have one of those personalities where I overdo things. And then I have to say, okay, now you have to stop that for a little bit before you get too carried away. Yeah, I want to be ultra clear. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm so pro-drugs. I'm so pro-drinking. I truly am those things. But I know for myself... I deeply desire to know exactly how I'm going to feel. Like, it's not even per se the high of the drug. It's just, oh, I know if I eat this edible in one hour, I'm going to feel this way. And that's so comforting to me. Uh Uh-huh. Just knowing what's ahead. Oh, really? Yeah. I don't have that. You don't have that. I like surprises. (laughs) Well, yeah, I also like novelty and surprises. But I guess I'll give you the simplest example of what I'm saying. My best childhood friend who just got – he's going to have two years this this uh, month. And when we were kids, he huffed gas to the point where he took a gas can. There was a gas can in his locker in ninth grade, and he got kicked out. Now, I don't know if you've ever huffed gas, have you? No. It is the worst feeling imaginable. It, of all the highs on planet Earth, it's the worst one. What? How does one do that? You just huff like the fumes. gasoline? Yeah, 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 yeah. Like yeah. actual gasoline? Yeah. Um, and he carried around a little gas can and, and since he's gotten sober and he and I've been talking about it so much and he had the most traumatic childhood of any human I've ever met. And so what I concluded was, and it led to me being a little more compassionate towards myself, which is 
His resting emotional feeling was so fucking bad that a gas huffing high was better. Mm. Yeah. The worst high in the world. That was preferred to his just resting emotional state, which breaks my heart. And I think a lot of addicts, because you'll talk to people. I'll talk to people, oh, I don't like cocaine. How could you not like cocaine? I'm so perplexed <laughs> by it. Oh, you, you kind of like them DMA? What do you mean? You don't like opiates? What? And what I actually conclude is like their resting emotional state is good enough uh-huh, that going right, to that other level right. isn't a huge relief. Yeah. And so I'm compassionate towards myself. It's like I, I clearly had a different yeah. resting emotional state where that was a huge relief to me. No, that's a very salient point that you make. All right, and that's the show. Thanks, everybody, and for tuning goodbye. in. Yeah, <laughs> see you tomorrow. <laughs> so our first caller today is Aaron. He's in his 30s, and he is a bartender in a resort town. You got a lot of bartenders um, in the audience. Mm-hmm, yep. Yeah, yeah. It's very yeah. thematic. I guess yeah. when you write a, a says, book called Vodka, is that are, you there, vodka are you there, Vodka? Yeah, I always yeah. wonder why there's so many drunk women at my shows. I'm like, it's like, well, I do, I have a, I, I do have a um, reputation that precedes me. You have so. a brand. Yeah, I do. Yes. <laughs> and that brand is Lucy Goosey. <laughs> yes. Aaron says, "Dear Chelsea." Just discovered your podcast, and I figure you might be able to give me some advice. So he's a new listener. I'm a man in his late 30s who bartends in a resort in a mountain town. I've been doing it for quite a while, 15 years, and I'm a fairly attractive and confident guy. As a result, I get my fair share of attention from women, both local and visitors. It's been a great ride, no pun intended. Here's the problem. I'm a romantic guy, and now I'm worried I have a reputation for taking women home. Don't get me wrong, I've had girlfriends that last a year or so thrown in there. My number is high, not in the hundreds or anything, and I don't regret any of them. But now that I'm thinking of settling down, I'm worried my past is going to catch up with me. Is there any way you can think that I can change my reputation, given that I've been here for so long? Keep kicking ass and good luck on the tour, Aaron. And he's here with us. Oh, let's see him. Okay. Hi. Oh, we're going to get to visually oh, see yeah, him? yeah, yeah. Oh my God, this is a very yeah. high-tech podcast. Oh yeah, we've got Zooms going and everything, <laughs> microphones, headphones, the whole shebang. The curtain behind us. Oh, we have, yes. Uh, Carson, I, Carson's that I... <laughs> curtain. <laughs> Wasn't his gold. Hi, Aaron. You know Dax Shepard, right? I do, yeah. I want to thank you. I, uh, I listened to a lot of that when I was on the farm when the uh, when the world shut down. I went from bartending to working on a farm, so I uh, I probably went through four episodes a day, so thanks very much for that. Oh, wow. Oh, I thank love you. that. You are, as advertised, handsome. Thank you. I was nervous when you self- <laughs> Self-diagnosed? <laughs> yeah, as handsome. I was like, could this hold up? And by God, it has. <laughs> yeah, you are handsome. So I second that emotion. So we've got that out of the way. That's yeah. a confirmation. Catherine, can you make a third confirmation on that? Absolutely. Very handsome. I'm also, handsome. I'm going to go a step further. <laughs> Which is, it's handsome in a deceptive way. I think you're a wolf in sheep's clothing. There's a kindness to your face that's probably disarming to these women, which is why you're able to bed them down. Mm-hmm. Do you, would I you think- agree? He does not look like a, like a predator. No, you don't. No, no, and nor nor do I think you are a predator. I think if you're a bartender in a mountain town, I'm assuming you mean a ski town, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I mean, why wouldn't you be having sex with as many people as possible? I mean, that's what yeah. everyone's doing in those towns, and especially in the service industry, that's kind of the way of life, you know, for a lot of service people who aren't married. If you're single, that's how you meet people at work. So I wouldn't like I I'll let Dax speak to it as a man, but as a woman, I wouldn't let. 
your past indicate your future so much. You know what I mean? You, it's a phase of your life, and I don't think you should have too much guilt about it. And people are going to change their perception of you when you change your own perception of yourself. And if you are serious, which I'm sure you are, because you wouldn't be calling into this podcast if you weren't, if you are serious about settling down and finding someone, that's going to become clear to everybody very quickly by your own behavior. You know, and and the first person it needs to become clear to is yourself. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. And yeah, you know, we kind of focus on like what we've done and what we've done, and that just kind of drags us through our present life. There's no point in looking at what you've done. You can acknowledge it, not be in denial of it, but as you move forward, you want to curb your behavior, then, you know, don't bring as many girls at home. You know what I mean? Be more practical about what you're putting out there and, and what you're what you're looking for. And people will start to pick up on that, and your reputation will become a thing of the past. They'll be like, oh, that used to be a guy who do this all the time. And he's more mature. He's older now. He's not like that anymore. You know what I mean? It just kind of works in, in, in step with your feelings about yourself and your behavior with yourself. Yeah. Okay. I like that. What do you think, Dax? Oh man, there's so much to it. I agree with everything you said. If you want to fuck, fuck, that's great. But there's a few things I'm curious about. One is the notion that others are going to use your reputation seems like your concern on the issue is other people, which I just don't know is your issue in life. I don't know you worrying about what other people are are interpreting you as. I think more it's it's an internal job. So maybe you just like fucking and that that's great. As long as you just like fucking that that's great. Yeah, there's definitely something to that. <laughs> well that's what I'm saying. Are you an approval junkie? Do you, do you crave validation? I do. And I'm in the situation you were. My wife met me and I just, I had been a fucking drug addict for 10 years and I fucked anyone that would let me fuck them. So she had to come to terms with the fact that we came from opposite backgrounds and I'm now telling her, well, now I'm different. I've been sober for two years and I'm not going to do that and blah, blah, blah. But I will say, I could have never promised her I wasn't going to do that if it was for her because she's not always going to be everywhere. I came to terms with my own sex addiction, which is, oh, wow, when I'm in a really bad mood, I get almost reactively horny. That's suspicious. Could my brain be that complicated that it's protecting me from feeling bad by making me horny, by giving me this distraction, by picking up a phone and texting someone and now going in this one-hour wormhole of looking at asses and tits and all this stuff? If that's what's happening, that's worth exploring. If you're, if you are, are if you are regulating in any way your internal self-esteem or your internal value uh, with sex and other people, all I can say is that well is never dry. It, it, it'll go on forever because ultimately you've got to be in charge of regulating everything inside. And if you get to a point where you're regulating everything inside and you're horny in a good way and everyone's honest, then fuck yeah. But okay. I guess my question to you is it, how much of it do you think is just your horny and how much of it do you think you are? Well, oh, let, me st let me back up. One thing I want to say, I was not an athlete. I wasn't the captain of the football team. I wasn't a jock. I wasn't all these things. The thing I could do since I was 12 was talk to women. I could talk to them for hours and hours and hours. That yielded to me having sex more often than other people. And I will say I leaned on that a ton. Oh, I didn't. I'm not in college now, but I'm still fucking the hot girl in my town. I'm not doing this, but I'm still. I used that to shore up almost all of my identity forever. Yeah, I definitely have a lot more female friends now that you mentioned that. That, that, uh, 
that hits. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I just think intentionally, you know, like change your intention moving forward. Like your intention now is to meet somebody of value, to be in a relationship that's meaningful to you. And, you know, when you're thinking about that or you're having a conversation with some girl that doesn't bring to the table the things that you would want to go long term with, don't go home and fuck her. Just change your behavior. Like, yeah, you know what? I'm not doing that anymore. I'm going to actually focus on meeting somebody that I want to date for possibly long term or get to know a little bit. Changing behavior is so much easier than people think it is you know rehabituating yourself to different kinds of like habits and mindsets it doesn't take as long as people think it does it's just making the decision to do it is usually half the battle and then following through with it is just the second part i think you also have to flip your top three like i think you've looked for women in a way that i'm sure you could list the top three i'm sure how they looked has got to be number one was for me you know and so on down the list but if 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 your true goal is is to have a long-term girlfriend, perhaps have kids. You have to identify what qualities those are. And you have to you have to write number 1. Number 1 is this woman is a good communicator that seems to be pretty honest with herself. I don't know what your thing would be, but let's just say and and minimally if you just force yourself to identify what that list would be as you're talking to the gal at the bar, some part of your brain's going to be like this, this isn't this isn't the number 1 on my list. It, she's got a really huge ass which is exciting. That's I'm, I've elevated that to number one on my list. <laughs> you know, I, I think that's we what prefer you got. to call it a badonkabonk. I think we've oh, gotten over this or dad ass. <laughs> Maybe you're just saying she's got dad ass, but you know, or a dad's ass. That's always hot <laughs> oh, on a woman. Also uh, hot. Yeah, a dad ass. A dad's ass. <laughs> <laughs> Did, was that helpful to you? Did that help? Yeah, it was. You know, it's it's to hear that it's I won't say normal, but definitely like a. a it does. I don't know how to explain it, but it does make a lot of sense. Okay. Well, why don't you hit us back when you're uh, when you found your girl and you can Absolutely. call in with her. I for sure will. And it's nice to hear that a guy wants to change his behavior. Good for you. I mean, you are a straight white man, so you should fucking step it up a little, especially yeah. in, <laughs> yeah. in the time I, uh, we're living you know, in. There's, there's that uh, that Patrick Stewart line. He says, you know, I, I, I grew up seeing all the old white straight guys make the decisions. Well, I'm an old white guy. I want to make some decisions now. So that's kind of how I, yeah. that's how I play things. So. Okay. Aaron. Can I ask one tough question? Yeah, hit me. Who are you if you're not fucking at all? Let's say that you have the same job, you live in the same town, and you don't get laid for a year. Do you know what's funny? You mentioned that. I have a really good friend who used he's in uh, he's in another town, but really good buddy of mine, and uh, he did a year of celibacy, and he told him a lot about himself. And I've kind of been thinking about that too, just trying to be better at it. You know, living by my like living as myself. Yeah, I, I just when I fucked a lot and drank a lot and, and partied a lot. It helped me deal with the fact that I was 10 years of auditioning, couldn't book a fucking diarrhea commercial. And so in the absence of all that, the other things I think get a little more clear of like, how much do I enjoy this? How much am I happy I'm here? How much am I using all this other stuff as a diversion so I don't have to confront this? I don't know. Maybe maybe you have the dream set up, and I, but I, it is an interesting thing that I think can also happen when you take away all the comforts surrounding something yeah yeah that's yeah that's a good i like that question i don't have an answer for you i do find a lot of like i live by myself and it's uh great except for the fact that when i want to be social it's like well let's go to the bar and Mm. and start start down that road and you know um so yeah no it's definitely a more of a you know make sure i'm comfortable with who i am and then kind of figure out where someone can fit into that i guess how old are you 38 yeah girl (laughs) <laughs> that's, like, that's when I had a baby <laughs> Yeah, 38 you start going like Yeah, man, I 
I skinned this cat. I'm fucking yeah. loosey goosey. I got no. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, wait, I'm going to be loosey-goosey by myself at 78. <laughs> and it's not going to be a good look at the bar. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's what I thought was going to happen to me, too. I was like, fuck. <laughs> very similar. Very similar. But, Aaron, that is a great question, Dax. See, I knew you were going to be good at this. Oh, yeah. thank you, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> he might be the MVP guest host I've ever had so far, Catherine. <laughs> very astute question. Yes, Yes, Dax. Yes. Oh, wow, 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 wow. I should come every day. <sighs> All right, Aaron. Thank you so much for calling in. I appreciate and, it. Thanks for your time. And we wish you well, and we wish you luck. And keep us posted. If- I'll keep you updated. Yeah, I've got, I've got Catherine's number now, so I'll let her know if anything goes great. Excellent. Great. <laughs> Thanks, Aaron. Much Thanks a lot. Have a good one. Bye. So cute. He really did have a cute, like, inviting, warm smile. He's just kind of like your ultimate bartender. You uh-huh. know what I mean? Yeah, That's the kind yeah. of face you want your bartender to have. Absolutely. Not judgmental, right? When you're on your seventh Jack and Diet in under 90 minutes, <laughs> you don't yeah. feel too judged yeah, by that you face. You want somebody who's just like when you order your eighth, they're going to be like, sure, <laughs> yeah. no problem. Instead of acting like you're sober to the bartender who served you seven drinks. <laughs> Bukowski had this thing where he had like five liquor stores he kind of circulated <laughs> through because he felt so judged by all the oh, people. yeah, yeah, that's so funny. <laughs> so there's only like once a week he was there at 9 a.m. to buy six bottles of wine. <laughs> <laughs> Our next caller, she's going by Maeve. So Maeve says... Dear Chelsea, I'm writing in because everyone on my husband's side of our lives fucking hates me. We've been together for six years and married for about a year. I met him when I was doing a brief stint in living in Trump country. I met him and fell in love right as I was planning to get the hell out of there. We felt like soulmates from the moment we met. Ultimately, he decided that he wanted to join me on the move, and we moved to a liberal coastal city about five years ago. Since we moved together, we have grown up and glowed up in so many ways. I feel like we're both self-actualizing individually and together. Problem is, everyone in his life seems to disapprove. His parents and a good handful of his friends seem to feel the same. They seem to act like I kidnapped him from his family against his will and brainwashed him into being some liberal vegetarian, everything they're against. They're not very nice to me, and it makes me feel like shit, and I know it upsets my husband, too. He's worked to create boundaries over the years, which has helped, but I still feel so unwanted by almost everyone in his life. I already struggle with self-worth and feeling like I don't deserve someone as great as him, and everyone on my side seems to love and genuinely approve of him. I'd love to hear what you have to say, because it makes me really sad and angry, and I think I need to channel my inner Chelsea Handler, Maeve. Mm. Hi, Maeve. Hello. Hi, how are you? I'm great. How are you? We're good. Do you know Dax? I do. Hi. Hi. We're together now. Yeah, we um, we have an announcement to make. <laughs> Every one of my wife's friends hated me too, so now I'm with Chelsea. <laughs> uh, do his friends, so give me more intel about why his friends, do his friends not like you because you're liberal and they're all, what, Trump supporters? Is that what you're kind of alluding to? So that's more like his family and like the older people in his lives. And then his friends are seem to be more upset about the fact that he moved, he moved and he doesn't live near them anymore. And I don't know, like what, like his, uh, the dad of one of his friends entered, entered my personal space at a get together recently to say that, you know, I'm glad you're happy and all, but we wish we could check up on him more to make sure he's eating enough meat and doing all right. And what does your boyfriend feel? How does he feel about this? 
it upsets him because he's always been like really close with his family and friends and he like luckily is is completely like seeing what i'm seeing he's not like gaslighting me or any anything but he's upset by the circumstances certainly were, were you vegetarian first no we discovered this together we we discovered it totally together slowly started incorporating it in our lives and now and, I'm like the big bad vegetarian. Well, what if <laughs> there since, are many worse things to be? But okay. But sincere question: um, What if he wanted to eat meat? What would that be? He does. He does. He's like eighty percent. I'm one hundred percent. Oh, then what's does. their problem? They're just He's not a- eating enough meat. Because all I was going <laughs> to say is on the surface, I could say, well, I think what's useful is like, what are they saying, right? So the guy who pulled you aside, what is he saying? What do you think he's saying when he when he tells you that? Yeah, well, it's the way he said, uh, we we need to make sure he's around so we can check up on him makes me feel like I'm a danger to him in some way. And I that's not how I see myself. And that's not how he sees me either. But I guess um, I'm, if I if I hear that guy say that question, what I'm hearing is that person is really afraid that your boyfriend's leaving his in-group that this is one of his people he loves this person and he is afraid that these decisions are going to take him out of their shared in-group oh we can't have a barbecue anymore you live in blah 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 so first and foremost i just think what is coming across is crass and shitty does have a kernel of the inside which is like fear and love and so it's helpful to me to try to start there. Like, what are these people truly afraid of? And can I can I relate to a friend that went away to college and we're shitheads back in Michigan? I'm probably never going to see that. Like, I can relate. There's a lot of people that make decisions that I'm fearful is going to change their identity and take them out of my group. And I'm compassionate towards that. I'm sympathetic to that. And instead of defending yourself in those situations, it might be useful to try to comfort that person and say, I'm sure it seems like he's becoming a totally different person, but I just want you to know he talks about you all the time and he loves you so much and he misses you. Just to see, because if you start trying to win a, a debate about whether what you guys are doing is healthy, sustainable, the right decision, the wrong decision, you're not addressing what's really happening here, which this person's really afraid they're going to lose someone they love. And unfortunately, it, it's on us to be the bigger human being that can offer that comfort and love, or we can engage in the same kind and just nothing will ever happen productively. Because I can see where this is going. There's going to be five more parties. You're, you and your boyfriend are going to continue to do things that uh, make that person not make. That person feels alienated by. That person feels less than by. My stepdad was so furious at one point that we were considering how much pesticides were on apples. It drove him crazy. Oh, my God, now we can't eat apples. And and at first I'm like, shut the fuck up. What are you talking? Like, get over yourself. But but the more I thought about it, I was like, he feels less than. He feels like he's not putting any effort into himself being healthy. And now here's another fucking thing. And I guess I'm that much more big of a piece of shit. So I, I don't know. I, that's just yeah, but my are first... you responsible for other people's feelings in that way? Like, she's not responsible for her boyfriend's friends and their parents' feelings about their relationship and about him being a vegetarian. She isn't really responsible for that. That's their own bullshit. 
You know, like you can be supportive of their relationships. Absolutely. As you should be. You shouldn't ever be. I mean, you don't want to, you know, encourage any sort of bifurcation with his past, you know, and his old life. But like, that's what people do. They they get they hook up with a partner and they sometimes move away. And it's just a passage into adulthood for many people. And mm-hmm. are, is she responsible to take care of everybody else's feelings because they don't like that? She's he- not she's not responsible. And what I'm what I'm proposing to her is actually a very selfish act on her part, which is I love this human being. I can see that my partner has these stressors in his life. All these people feel like he's abandoning them. That makes my partner unhappy, mm-hmm. which then makes me unhappy. How can I stop this whole cycle? Well, maybe I tell Bill, he loves you so much he's not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. And then Bill stops driving her partner crazy. I don't know. And yeah, then she no, benefits. I mean, like It's ultimately a selfish act, Yeah. but it's one that may yield a result. I just don't think extolling the benefits of a vegetarian lifestyle to this person is going to solve in right. any no, way no, I the agree with problem you on that's that going on. Absolutely. I do. I think, I mean, there's no purpose in trying to convert anybody, right? That's not a good use of your time. But it is also, it's what he's saying, yes, absolutely. Be supportive of their friendship. Be encouraging to the, those people. You don't want to make enemies out of his old life. You know, they're not important enough to you, really, at all to make that kind of, and have that kind of negative back and forth with them, right? All you can do is support them in, in, in order to support him, in order to support yourself. So it's a circular thing, that which is what Dax is referring and to. Maybe, let me says, be honest. I would have told that guy to suck my dick. So I, I'm not saying I'm... <laughs> I'm capable of what I'm advising you to do. I'm very defensive and I'm very like, then get the fuck out of my house. You hate, you know, you must have meat cooking so much, whatever it is. I'm not saying it's easy and I'm not saying I do it. I'm just saying from the outside, I bet those people feel scared they're losing someone they love. Looking at them with more empathy is something that I think would be helpful here because clearly they have a lot of fears, it seems. And I don't think that that's all on me. I think I'm like a boogeyman. For all of their fears. Yeah, I mean, even coming up to you and saying we'd like him to check in more, that's something that would have been better directed at him, not you. <laughs> You're not in control of him checking in with them. But, you know, say, you know that that's an opportunity for you to go, hey, you know what? Mike's father or whatever the hell his name was wants you to check in with him a little bit more. And that's a way to be supportive. You you come out looking good and there's no harm done, no foul, right? And you facilitated exactly the exchange that happened and by by remaining the bigger person. So And I'm in, I'm telling you to do exactly what you guys are doing. Live the exact life you want to live. But I just wouldn't spend any time defending that life. I would more spend time trying to figure out what fear is happening in the other person. And if there's any way you can be truthful to yourself and also comfort that person, it might be easiest. Or you guys can just go hunting, you know, and take a bunch of pictures <laughs> of animals that you've killed and, 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 post, and post them live. on Facebook and Instagram. And that will satiate everybody's needs. Wear a MAGA hat. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> get out your rifle. Get in your truck. Uh, I can give you an example from (laughs) my my own life, which is my wife was ostensibly Christian when we met. And her mother often thinks I'm Lucifer and has led her away from the church. And I get very defensive in those situations. And I want to yell at her and debate with her about what I've done or haven't done. Uh, In fact, on my best days, I recognize... This woman believes in heaven. 
and she believes she's going to heaven. And she believes her favorite thing in the whole world, her daughter, will not be with her there for eternity. That's fucking terrifying. I don't believe in any of that. But if I did think my daughters and I could be somewhere forever and they were not going to join me because of someone else, I'd be panicked. Mm. Mm. It's hard for me to give her that extra 10 minutes of thinking about it. But I do best with her when I remember I represent her not being with her daughter for eternity. That's fucking huge. Yeah, yeah. And when I put it back on myself to, like, defend the choices that I've made with my husband, we, like, that's a very, that sucks. But thinking about, like, oh, what are they so scared of uh, that's making this so hard, for, that's making them want to be, like... Well, minimally, this, what you immediately life. recognize in that exercise is it is them. They have mm -hmm. a thing going on. Yeah. And you are somehow a symbol of that. But, of course, you aren't the thing. And I just feel better when I recognize, oh, this is this person's problem. And not, it's not actually an attack on me. It's it's their lack of being able to be vulnerable and say they're scared they're losing him. Because if they came up to you and said, I'm, I'm so afraid I'm losing Mike, that I'm not evolving quick enough with him and that he's becoming a person and he won't respect me, you'd fucking hug that person. But, unfortunately, people aren't trained to do that. So, instead... You know, you end up explaining why you live the life you live, which is none of their business. Totally. That's very helpful. Well, I think you hit that one out of the park, Dax, once again. Oh, <laughs> there's been a change in tone. <laughs> I think you did a really good job, babe. Do you feel like you got some good advice? I feel like you did. I definitely do. Yeah. And um, I told Mike that I was going to be having this conversation. So I'm really excited to share with him. Oh, good, good. And I'm sorry, yeah. I missed that you said you were married. I was obviously just taken by my new lover. And I, I so I apologize when I called him your boyfriend. I we still think we're great in bed together. We haven't found out that we're not. So like we're riding pretty high right now. Um, but thank you for your call, Maeve. And good luck with everything. Yeah, thank practice you. empathy. Empathy is going to return the favor to you. Thank you. Okay, take care. Bye, Bye. Maeve. Bye-bye. Another very kind, kind face. I yeah. know. I'm waiting for you to have like a no. We only get a good Muppet. I, we only get really, really sincere, sweet people here. It's yeah. really, it's surprising it's, to me as well. Yeah. What's the story, Catherine? So our last question today comes from Sarah. She lives in Canada. Dear Chelsea, would love to hear your take on parenting a very, very headstrong seven-year-old female human. I've tried every tactic, a firm but kind approach, a loving approach, and of course, pure bribery. Nothing works. She's motivated by money, so I'm hopeful for her future, but I'm not sure I'm doing this right. She yells at me a lot, and she's only seven. How do I raise this kid so she's kind but also kicks ass? How do we achieve the balance of letting them be fierce but also go to bed on time? Sarah in Ottawa. Okay, well, I'm going to give this over to Dax since he has a six and eight year old girls. This is his wheelhouse. And why don't you take it from here, sweetheart? Well, what I'll, I'll first say is that so our first daughter at 21 months, I took her to Toys R Us. I said, pick out a potty. She picked one out. We got home a couple days later. Chris and I said, like, hey, you ever want to use that thing? It's there. And she said, potty. And then that bitch was potty trained. We did nothing else. I was like, we need to write a book. Second kid came along. Delta, the now six-year-old, opposite, just opposite person. So I just want to start by saying there isn't, you should never believe in parenting advice because uh, to what kid is this advice going to be applicable to? Because we do things almost opposite with the eight-year-old as we do the six-year-old. 
It sounds to me like your seven-year-old is kind of similar to my six-year-old. And I guess the, the, the main hack I figured out is it's as simple as giving her the last word. So I say, look, we got to go to bed at eight. It's their school tomorrow. And she says, no, because blah, 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 blah. If I don't engage and then I, I let her have that, she got the last word. Some time goes on, 20 minutes passes, and we're good. And and this is one of those one things I brought up earlier where Kristen said, like, what are you doing with Delta that she does what you want? And I'm like, I don't fight with her because she's just she's living to fight. She's a fucking prosecutor. Mm. And it's all about the fight. It's not actually about the substance of what you're fighting about. It's way more. I want the last word. I'm the baby of this family. Everyone else is bigger than me. Everyone else has a louder voice. I want the fucking last word. So when I'm able to just give her that last word, I find that everything else just goes swimmingly. I think also when you have that personality type, fighting is their oxygen. That's how they breathe. Like they want, that's their engagement. That's their engagement. And if you're not interacting with them, you're diffusing the situation. I have that personality type where I don't like to be told what to do and I have no respect for authority figures. But as long as you're engaging with me, I will argue with you. But if you're not arguing with me, there's nothing to argue about. So, I mean, I think it's about as a parent putting your foot down and leaving it there, taking Dax's advice. But like you are in charge, so get in charge. You're kid is not in charge of you. And I know that's easier said than done. And I'm not a parent. So I'm just going to let you take Dax's advice on that. But remember that, you know, that is your child and whatever you're doing isn't working. So then you have to change your approach. I'm also going to add in there, 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 there's a big distinction to be made between abandoning your child and ignoring your child. There is a huge difference there. Abandoning your child is you're not there when they need you. They're hurt and you're not coming. They're hungry. You're not addressing that. They're crying from something that happened with their sister, and you you have no time for that. That's abandonment. Positively rewarding everything they do with your attention is not healthy. They, they're little monkeys trying to escape the zoo, and the escape is to get your undivided attention. So I believe it is fine to ignore them when it's past the point of being productive. So I give D-Money the last word. And if she wants to carry on beyond that, that's gonna she's going to be doing that solo. Mm-hmm. This is no longer a need she has. I'm not abandoning her, but I'm not participating in it because I have boundaries as a human. I also am trying to model those for her. I don't need to join you on a 30-minute fucking vortex of emotion. You can do, you know, you're free to do that. I'm encouraging you to have all your emotions, but I don't need to be a part of it. I can ignore it and I cannot be affected by it. And it's shocking how quickly when they recognize it doesn't have an effect on you, how quickly they change their strategy to get out of the enclosure. Another home run. Another home oh run, you gosh. guys. You must be exhausted. I'm going to shit the bed on this you, last one. You must be exhausted. <laughs> no, that was the last That was the last one. We got it, yeah. you guys. We got it. Those are all our callers and write-ins for this episode, right? Yeah, so we'll just take a quick break, and we'll be back shortly. You're really going to have to void your bladder when you walk out of here. I you have so many liquids. So frequently. Me it's too. It's humiliating. All the time. Like and it actually governs like where I can go, what I'm going to do. On a plane, I can never ever sit by the window. I have to sit in the aisle, on the aisle seat always because I know I'm going to have to climb over somebody three times. And I get also, I took a small plane recently that only had, I've never even fucking heard of this, that only had a bathroom in the back. So I was in the front because obviously. Yeah. And I was, I'm like, oh, I was waiting 
waiting for us to be at 20,000 feet so they unlocked the bathroom and I went up and she's like oh I'm sorry there's no bathroom here because it was like an hour flight somewhere and so she, oh, I was no. in the back of the plane and I'm like are you fucking and then I was like oh no I'm gonna have to go to the back of the plane three times in one hour watch and everyone's gonna see me walking back walking forth and then yeah. don't you also like get hyper focused on every sensation in your yes, bladder yes. Like, the second I, I know there's a I hurdle I really have to take my hands away from my bladder because I'm like oh if I press on it or touch it which is basically what oh, my I seat do belt. I'll be like oh my seatbelt's making me have to pee more. <laughs> totally. My fucking pants so are making annoying. me have to pee. I'm unbuttoning shit, no seatbelt. It looks like I'm about to go freak Nick in the front of the airplane. <laughs> okay, so we're going to close this episode with Dax, who has been a joy and yeah. a pleasure. I'm so Thank glad you. you came in person. Me I love too. you so much. Me too. Love I spending adore you. time with you. Dax, before we let you go, I need to ask you, do you need some advice from Chelsea? Okay, so I got to say, like, no part of me wasn't excited to come here and do this other than knowing I had to ask you for advice. Ugh. So I guess what I decided to make my question was, how do you take advice? Because I think you and I, and I don't want to flatter myself, but I think you and I are very similar. And I actually fucking hate advice. I hate authority figures. I hate people who think they got it figured out. I personally, I mean, I was forced to in this situation, but I don't really give advice. I'll tell you what I did for me, but I, I just hate get it. I can't receive it. I can't, I guess I'd be acknowledging I'm deficient in some way by asking for it. Like this is my biggest hurdle in AA is like asking for help. So my curiosity is knowing that we're so similar how on earth do you get yourself to a position where you want advice and you're genuinely asking for it? Yeah, I think we do have similar personalities, definitely. And I definitely have an allergic, my instinctual reaction to somebody giving me advice is an allergic reaction where I want them to shut the fuck up and yeah, get yeah, away yeah, from yeah. me. But I have learned... And I, that's something that I picked up in therapy, too, that my initial reaction is invalid to most things, right? Like, my initial reaction is usually ego-based or oh, whatever. Right, right. Mm -hmm. So as long as I can take a minute before I think about it, for instance, uh, my boyfriend was seeing my show, my, my stand-up show. He came with me for my Florida dates, and he was giving me touch-ups, like, or punch-ups for things, and then he wanted me to rearrange the section of something, and I immediately was like, no, don't tell me how to do my own material, <laughs> but... I didn't say that. I thought about it. I'm like, he's a fucking comedian too. Obviously, this is valid. Yeah. Let me try it that way. I tried it the first show, his suggestion. I wasn't sold on it. I got off stage. He goes, oh my God, that was exactly right. That adjustment. Now you have the joke over there. It's different. And I go, mm, I'm not 100%. And he goes, okay, well, I go, but I'm going to try it one more time and see. And then I tried it the second time and he was right. Oh, and wow. then I tried it again and he was right. So I think my feeling about that is to know that your initial reaction to things isn't always the right reaction and to give yourself the space of understanding that some people actually do have some, you know, some advice is meritorious. Oh, God, yes. And, and is... <laughs> Clearly, yeah. So many people do so many things better than I do, yeah. Right, so I guess it's who, how it's how it's being delivered is important, well, obviously. It's also huge, I, I would assume you trust your boyfriend. Yeah, but right? I, but not more than I trust myself. Of course, you not. know what I mean. But but you don't believe that your boyfriend has any ulterior motive right. in this scenario. Like he's not trying to demonstrate to you that he's actually the genius comedian in the, mm -hmm. in, the in the relationship. Right. You have that trust with him. Right. Yeah. 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 Because. Uh, yeah, I guess I, I, I have a hard time trusting people is what it is. Like, yeah, I, I, I have a hard time thinking I, anyone's doing anything 
in a way that would not be bettering their own position. <laughs> right. I guess it's a limited it's a limited amount of people that you can trust and value yeah. what they have to say because you're not going to take a blind advice. But I mean, you know, conversely, I have many agents over the years that have given me advice that I was like, get the fuck out of my face. Yeah, yeah. Like I you don't even know what you're talking about. You're not a creative. You don't get it. Yeah. And, you know, so I, I have that feeling. But yeah, I trust you. I, like I, I, I you couldn't gain anything from me. Well, I'm certainly not competitive with you. I don't think you're competitive with me. So, like, I'm inclined to believe what you tell me. I would say that, too. So, I guess the thing, uh, let's start with what I've admired about you in the last 20 years that I aspired to is your confidence to quit things oh. is pretty unique. <laughs> I, I admire it, and, and I, I guess I strive for that belief in myself where you could you can walk away from things that are minimally financially beneficial. Yeah. Yeah. Would you agree with that assessment? Yeah. Yeah, I've definitely done and, that. And I think it's it's quite rare. Mm. I think this podcast thing for me has put me in a position where I can behave that way, but I could only behave that way with this crazy safety net. Mm -hmm. And so I admire that about you. Thank you. You're Thank welcome. you. I love that. That's so nice to hear. It's for real. Well, I appreciate that. So what, where are you getting that from? Um, I just have always had a lot of misplaced confidence uh, ever since I was a little girl. Like, I, I really believe I'm betting on myself. And, you know, I've had ups and downs, but I always know that I'm going to figure it out. A, I always just want to be true. I don't want to be faking or lying, you know? I don't want to be I don't want to be pretending. I don't like that. I want to be true and upfront. And if something's not if I'm not feeling something, it's like staying in a relationship that I wasn't into. I'm not good at that either. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. anytime I've walked away from something, it was just cuz it was no longer interesting to me and and I do believe in myself. I think also what you have which I didn't become aware of in myself until the podcast I think you've known for a long time that you have a point of view and like once you have that when you have a point of view and people have heard it and people follow it and they respond to it I would at least hope it gives you confidence that like yeah I'm going to bring this point of view to whatever I do in this I've figured that aspect of it out so I can plop it here and plop it there and mm. it's going to work everywhere because I know what it is and it's authentic and I believe in it you think that's any part of it? Uh, yeah, I think having a strong point of view is part of it. And I think it's also like, you know, you get a lot of confidence from having success. Like mm -hmm. you've gotten a lot of confidence from the success of your podcasts and everything that you've built. And you've built an empire with everything you've done. So you feel differently now than you did before. But but specifically what happened is I had some level of success in playing other characters. So it's not necessarily my point of view. Like I'm trying to put the Dak shade on everything. Yeah, but you do have a point of view with your podcast. Right. Like, well, yeah, that's where right. I got And that's to... where you have some of your biggest success, I would argue, right? Without question, it's the biggest success I've ever had. Yeah, and then I guess I, I found out through that process, like, oh, wow, my point of view is valuable. Yeah. Which I hadn't, you, I don't know that you can discover as an actor. You can discover it as a stand-up. Yeah, right. Sketch comedy, you can't even really discover it. Like, I had 20 characters I played at the Groundlings. I'm not sure which one of those was my point of view that I could bet on the rest of my life. Right, but isn't that interesting that yeah. when you have such a strong point of view and you're in touch with your point of view, that's where the power you, that's seems where to you're aligning from. with everything and all of a sudden everything starts working for you instead of against you. Yeah. Yeah, it's been a very 
awesome experience. And it's fun to watch you succeed. And I, a lot of, oh, you know, you. and everyone feels that way about you. People like watching you succeed because it does feel like, <laughs> it did feel like a long time like you were an underdog. Well, good. So it's nice to see you on top. Good. It'll stop soon. We're going to, we're going to go. It's not, don't say that. Don't have that kind of attitude. That's also, no, I'm only referencing that we love the story of, we, we just as humans, we love the story of the underdog. And then as soon as you're you're doing well, you're like, okay, we'll let this ride for a minute. But yeah, right. Of course. Of course. I'm still cynical about human nature. How about that? Yeah. Well, that's fair. That's a part of my point of view. On that note, I want to thank Dax for being here today. We are going to take a shower now together. Mm-hmm. In, we are in Sherman Oaks at the podcast studio, and I had them run a small bath. Oh, great. So you'll be in the tub, I'll be in the shower? or Well, you're going to urinate in the tub, okay, and then great. I'm going to take a bath. Oh, my God. I it's think. like a weird new version oh. of blood brothers and sisters. Oh, I'm just going to make sure. Yeah, I'll take a couple of pictures. PB siblings. For- for Kristen. It's a love story. It's a love story. And you then, know, she might be, you might be one of the only people she'd be threatened by, to be honest. Mm, I admire you, her confidence. She's very confident as well. But yeah, yeah, she's pretty confident. Yeah, yeah, she's a gangster. It's good to be conf- around confident people. Don't you fucking love it? I couldn't do it the other way. <laughs> and on that note, we want to say amen. Amen, Dax. We love you. Dax Shepard, everybody. Dax I love you. Shepard. Can't wait to do it again. With regard to my stand-up, you guys, I have added 27 or 30 cities. I'm not sure, but 27, 30 cities. We've added Des Moines. We've added your request people, people who requested Louisville, Kentucky. Guess fucking what? I'm coming. We've added Montclair, New Jersey. We've added a whole slew of cities. So if you have not gotten your tickets yet, do it. ChelseaHandler.com. We just announced 30 more cities. 27 or 30. Niagara Falls, I'm talking to you too. So suck on that. I'll see everybody on tour. Loving it. Vaccinated and horny.